Before we start this podcast, we would like to take the opportunity to mention that we now have a Patreon page where you can help to support, evolve and continue these compassionate conversations. Please visit patreon.com slash voce dialogues for more information. Welcome everyone to the Voce Dialogues, Voices of Compassionate Evolution. I'm Chloe Goodchild, founder of The Naked Voice, and this is our new online community where we are exploring, deepening, and evolving our awareness of the transforming power of compassion. Enjoy these new dialogues with a wide range of artists, musicians, writers, and philosophers, social entrepreneurs, and sacred activists. They are all visionaries, transforming lives through the art of conscious creative expression with practices inspired by their own unique life experience. The Voce Dialogues are dedicated to the compassionate evolution of life on Earth. Well, greetings everyone and welcome to the Voce Dialogues. And today I am very privileged to be in the presence of Jean Houston, and Anna Lewis Smithson. Big greetings to you both. It is such a pleasure to be with you, my friend. I can feel the vibrations of compassion. <laughs> <laughs> Truly moving from your great, great heart to the whole world. <laughs> well, I think it's absolutely mutual. It's, it's such a joy to be in conversation with you again after all these years. And of course, Anna Lewis, my dear friend, we have met more recently, and I'm just so inspired to hear how this virtue dialogue and the theme of compassion is going to be really playing its way through the archetypes of your relationship, the two of you, of the creation of this extraordinary book that you have both brought together, The Future Humans and The Quest of Rose. So everyone listening, I'm pretty confident that most of you will know who these two extraordinary women are. For those of you for whom it's your first chance to hear them, this is an extraordinary time that you've chosen. I'd like to share a little bit about the two of them. So Jean, who I've known since the 80s, actually, goes back Mm. to the 80s. I remember you giving me an incredible piece of music, a Sufi piece of music, Tehran. I don't know if you'd remember that. Yes, I do. Was it Gurdjieff brought it back? Incredible. Anyway, so Jean Houston, PhD, is a legend in her own time. As a world-renowned scholar, a futurist and researcher in human capacities, social change and systemic transformation, Jean is one of the principal founders of the Human Potential Movement and one of the foremost visionary thinkers and doers of our time. She's also a founder of the field of social artistry, human development in the light of social change. Jean has also worked intensively in over 40 cultures, lectured in over a hundred countries and worked with major organizations such as UNICEF, UNDP and NASA, as well as helping global state leaders, leading educational institutions, business organizations and millions of people to enhance and deepen their capacities. 
Jean has authored over 35 published books and a great many unpublished books, plays and manuscripts. She is Chancellor of Meridian University and is presently the chair of the United Palace of Spiritual Arts in New York City. And the website for both Jean and for Anna Lewis is futurehumans.world. Well now, Anna Lewis Smitsman, you and I, we met in Delphi not that long ago. And I have a very special memory of sitting at the bottom of the Delphi Amphitheatre with you and you gave me a stone. And I still have that. I carry it around with me. Anna Lois, PhD, LLM, is a visionary scientist, published author, futurist, system architect, and leadership catalyst for the transition to a thrivable civilization. Anna Lois is the founder and CEO of Earthwise Center, and she holds a master's degree in law and judicial political sciences from Leiden University and a degree of doctor from the Maastricht Sustainability Institute of Maastricht University. Anna Lewis is the leader of the R3.0 Educational Transformation Blueprint, as well as the lead architect of the SEEDS Constitution and strategic advisor of Haifa for co-developing the regenerative Renaissance tools, currencies, systems, and cultures. Anna Lewis is a powerful teacher of cosmic architecture, evolutionary leadership, and transformational change. Her unique transformation programs and practices have empowered thousands of people and organizations from around the world to be inspired and have their lives changed. So the two of you, here we are in three different continents. And my question to you both is, what is compassion? And how has compassion shown up in your life that has led to this extraordinary unfolding and co-creation of this book over the last year? Jean, would you like to start? Well, compassion is an all-encompassing word because it is primarily a feeling. So you have to keep on talking on and on and on to be able to translate this, this heart and mind and soul-spirited experience of compassion. It requires a Shakespeare, I think, to really talk about compassion. To me, it is the fact that we are interwoven beings. We may, in fact, be one great essential being. God's stuff incarnate in a biodegradable space-time suit. You know? And when we tap into the great wells of compassion. Deep are the wells of compassion, should we not say endless. Mm -hmm. We then have a coming aliveness of the two-ness or the ten-ness or the thousands of us together. Mm -hmm. We feel the other person's beingness and they can even feel ours. Mm -hmm. Above all, it is perhaps love in its finest expression. Mm -hmm. It is that which allows us to join what we always have been, but we have forgotten existentially what we are. Mm. We are part of a great unity. Mm. We are part of a oneness that transcends any kind of explanation. Mm. In my own experiences of compassion, it can be something very simple. It can be 
the sudden smile of the grocery checkout clerk where he transcends his own job and there is just that humanness. It can be acts that are so magnificently given that you know that you are in the field of abundance, or as my Sicilian grandmother would say, abundance. <laughs> abundance, abundance upon abundance, and still more abundance remains. <laughs> Compassion is ultimately what life at its best is about. Mm, and I sense that really is the underpinning theme of this book that the two of you have given birth to. How about you, Anna Lewis? What is compassion for you? How has it shown up in your life? Mm, thank you, Chloe. And thank you also for these amazing introductions of us and that you still have kept this stone. I, I love that. It brings back so many memories. <laughs> yeah, it's such an incredible time at Delphi. <laughs> so yeah, compassion, <laughs> love with passion. <laughs> for me, it's this very very deep commitment to keep seeking and connecting in and reaching in for the truest essence of life mm. and knowing that within this world that sometimes appears difficult challenging sometimes even cruel mm-hmm. full with hardships that and yet within that deeper 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 there is a beauty there is a coherence there is a love there's a wisdom and it's it's this great being that Jean spoke of. It's like it is seeking us as much as we are seeking it in order for us all to experience this deeper love and, and harmony and peace. So for me, this this compassion is to to touch whatever comes on my path, whatever happens in my life with that recognition with that remembering with mm. that devotion to to search for the truest essence within that and then how to bring bring it forth into the world and and i feel that's also what, what brought jean and me together and you know what really the essence of our work where we, we said how can we create something together and bring forth something together that none of us can do alone mm. in answer in response to this very difficult time that humanity is going through right now and also sensing and trusting that there is a more beautiful, loving world in potential that is seeking to be born within our hearts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love how synchronicity plays. I mean, just to see a film of your two respective lives, just to watch how your respective lives actually just slowly but surely brought you both together. Because it seems to me as if you both have these kind of multifaceted brains, it's as if the left and the right brain, you know, the light bulb of the brain is shining and fully on. You know, for some of us, it's more the left, for others, more the right. But it's as if between you, and I think perhaps to do with the combination of your eldership with your younger years and with this lovely depiction of the grandmother and the child in this conversation as it goes throughout this book somehow just really articulates to me what the purpose of your coming together was, what the purpose of this time is about. And what I love about your book, of course, is that it starts right out in these contemporary times. And you've done something very clever, which is to combine the storytelling, the narrative with instructional, with philosophy, with science, 
artistic expression. This, the whole thing is a, a, is a work of art. It's a story and it's very accessible. You've done something quite all-inclusive, it seems. And I'd love you just to share how this began for you. I love the story of how you came together in the first place. Would you like to start with that? I think that would be very nice. It was brought about because of a dog, <laughs> which is quite common in my life. My very large golden doodle. She began pawing at a rug in the corner of my bedroom and she was pawing and pawing. It was unlike her. And I thought, well, maybe there's a mouse or something in there. So I went over and I helped her lift up this corner of the rug. And there was a paper, a scientific paper. I pulled it out and I read it. And I said, but this is what I've been thinking forever. It was about the nature of the future, the future being substantive and real, the time, past, present, and future are simultaneous, one of the major hallmarks of some of the more speculative thinkers in, in quantum physics, mm. and that one could work with this future and this past simultaneously, if the future, in fact, patterns the past. And I looked for the uh, author's name, and it was Anna Louise, uh -huh. and I immediately got in touch with her. And evidently, she'd been trying for a long time to get in touch with me. But being as I am considered to be a very nice public person who tries to help a lot of people, I get thousands of emails a month and hundreds each day. And so somehow she had slipped through it. We needed the divine presencing of, of the dog to come over. And my own dog has just come over and sat down. He's listening to this conversation as so it shows up real it all is. Well, we immediately realized we were on the same team, wherever it was coming from, and that we had work to do together. And we began essentially inst instantly, didn't we? And one of the things I said is this work is so complex, we better put it in a narrative style, because I've always been one for myths and narratives and how storying brings even the most complex ideas and experiences to life. So we began with the story, the story of a young woman who had been dying of COVID because we were in the midst of the COVID epidemic as we still are mm. at this telling. It just began to flow through both of us working every day. Since that time, there has not been any day that we have not been working together. The book seemed to have its own life and even more than its own life, and this is the strangest of all, it had its own science, which seemed to anticipate not just the frontiers of understanding and of the nature of the cosmos and cosmology, but also was a lure from this future, which was influencing the past where we were living. Oh, I'd love you to share more about that. Our dear friend, Jude Caravan, who speaks of the science of love. And that's where, for me, I can, I can really relate to that. And I can really relate to what you're saying also as a musician from the sacred geometry and the mathematics of music and so on. How science as the left and the right side of the brains come together. So I would love to hear you both to speak more about that. And Lois, how did the story actually happen? How did page one show up? Mm, so, yes, as, as Jim was saying, the book really has, has a spirit of its own. 
you know, I'm sure that many writers will share that, that the characters are alive, yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, but while writing, it's been literally like being in a movie. So what you're reading is what we're seeing, basically, as, as we are in, inside that. Yes, and then being at the height of the, the COVID crisis, Rose, the main character in the book, and sees a woman in her mid-20s and from multiple ancestries that are within her. So where the story really begins is with her in the hospital and where she feels her life ebbing away. And she had already intuitions, but didn't understand it, like dreams of a being on a, on, a, on a road that suddenly stops and not seeing what's past the bend. Mm-hmm. And this sense of, as if she was searching for a purpose, and she was like, is this all there is? And, and we, we wrote that because you could see that a lot of people are actually experiencing that, where they're saying, well, there's got to be more to life than what we're living right now, and, and how do I get there? And this, this feeling of ending as well, uh, sometimes being frightened because... Um, that can show up very vividly in dreams, can come show up in dreams of death as well. Uh, so we felt it was really important to, to presence that, to give it a place. Mm. Um, and then as Rose reaches out to the cosmos and says, surely <laughs> it, it's not my time. There's got to be another way. Mm. No, universe, please help me and show me how can I heal myself? How can I renew myself? And that is also the... The vital question right now of this time that we feel is not just just humanity that's searching for that, but Gaia herself is going through an incredible rebirth. And what we wanted to presence as well is that, and it comes back to compassion, that right in that moment when it seems so dark or even hopeless at times, right in that moment when the, the pain is severe, when we're feeling out of breath, it's right in those moments that life reaches in and that our future mm-hmm. comes forth and activates within us. And so this also happens then in the book, Poor Rose, that as she's dying and she's reaching out for the cosmos, the cosmos reaches into her and shows her the power of choice and how she can make a new choice. Mm-hmm. But that this choice is not going to come from the old cycle of time. This is to be... The, the consciousness of the choice of her future human self, mm-hmm. uh, which is her potential within a whole new cycle of time, which is this new era that so many people have been sensing and, and also what you know, many of the sages around the world have been foretelling for hundreds if not thousands of, of years. Mm-hmm. So the book helps us then also to connect with our future human potential from this new era of time and the deeper coding and possibilities that it holds. And as Rose then enters into that, she also enters deeply into the process of metamorphosis and see then all the science that she's been studying as a biologist and in quantum physics and system sciences, suddenly it comes alive. Mm-hmm. It's no more textbook knowledge. She sees the cosmic architecture of life. She starts to understand what these little digits or the cosmic hologram that Jude speaks so amazingly of and has studied so extensively. Mm-hmm. Um, she starts to experience it for real and then realizes how that is the information of immortality and how it's been there from the beginning. It will always be there. And that once we recognize this deeper architecture of unity and wholeness, it offers the keys for not only our own personal rebirth and healing, but also the rebirth of our world mm-hmm. and a fundamentally new design and architecture for our economic systems, governance systems, educational systems, 
these are really the the source keys of regenerative uh, design beautiful absolutely beautiful and i think what's so compelling for me literally within the opening pages is that you are addressing which is what you know what humanity is one of humanity's deepest fears which is you know either consciously or unconsciously is the fear of death itself and the fact that you're immediately in that process with such simplicity telling it like it's a story like this is something that you can actually navigate this is a process you can navigate and communicate with actually communicate within and beyond the confines of the human body it makes it instantly accessible to a lot of people because everybody whether they know it or not knowingly or unknowingly are having to face as you say the end of an era the beginning of a new era but also just at the very pure physical act of being a human being of the breath stopping and what happens next what is that beyond so in a sense what you're describing now is everything i would love to have been introduced to when i was about 11 years old rather than waiting till much later it's incredible isn't it how our education did not really address any of this territory i agree you know chloe and i think this is fundamental it's because we haven't given death a place <laughs> in our stories in our narratives and, in, and also in our models that we've brought our world to the brink of extinction. I mean, it's, it's, it's really paradoxical, isn't it? We have architected death <laughs> in our world. We, you know, we're, we're killing so many of our vital ecosystems because we're in denial of death. We also are not allowing certain systems to die. You know, we, we want to keep everything going, but going in the wrong way. So I absolutely agree with you. And I've had a fascination of death ever since I was a little girl. I used to bring back dying uh, little animals <laughs> to, to my parents. And they would go, oh, no, there's a ghost again. Another injured rabbit <laughs> or dying cat and, or dying bird, you know. And I would hospice them. And I wanted to understand what would happen. And then if I couldn't save them or it was too late for the, for the vet to save them, I would give them a proper burial, <laughs> take my little foot out and play for them. I was just fascinated, fascinated always since I was little about death. Yeah. But don't you also think that this is a birthing time? Yes. That this is a time of renaissance, rinascita. When you look at the history of bad times and good times, mm -hmm. you find that the renaissance times, whether they be in Europe or China, wherever they happened, were preceded by pandemics. I mean, just look at the great pandemics of one kind or the other. Look at the great European Renaissance, which was in the 14th century, preceded by the Black Death, which killed over half the people of Europe right. and North Africa. Mm -hmm. I think something happens at the, these kinds of times that after the great long darkness, there appears the birthing of new light, new ways of being, profound jumps in culture and consciousness. I like to believe that special social and psychic enzymes mm -hmm. become available in the mind, body, spirits of people. And, and there is a radical, is, is the word in Italian is so wonderful, rinascita, rinascita. I'm half Sicilian, you'll excuse me. <laughs> but that emerges out of the dark waters of the collective unconscious as we see that in the Renaissance in Europe, utterly new ways of thinking and being, architecture, the chemistry, archaeology, 
the, the astronomics, all of these phenomenal new ways of seeing, thinking, being that really had not been there before, except perhaps in embryo. It's like, well, it's like the fertilization that we begin in, the fertilization of this little tiny dot, this little dot, which is the egg that has been fertilized. And out of that, it seems to contain the coatings for utter renewal creation of so many different parts of our mind, body, being. But this is the same, this dot is the same for societies. After ending times, there begin the beginning times. So I would ask you, Chloe, I would ask you, what do you see as the potential renaissance of culture and consciousness for our emerging new time of renascida, of rebirth? Well, for me, I'm, I feel so incredibly lucky and blessed that sound has been my teacher. And sound as a spiritual practice, the voice as the language for spirit has been my main passion throughout my life. And I think now I'm aware how the, the mathematics, the sacred geometry and the energy, the vibration and the frequencies that I'm starting to become aware of in my own sounding, but also in the capacity of human beings to realize they can remember themselves as sound. They can remember themselves as these, what I call morphosonic fields of sound rather than morphogenetic, because it seems as if everything you're describing of what it was that was holding humanity back in terms of our obsession with duality or our identification with the dualistic realm of life has also impacted our relationship with our voices and with our remembering of what the true purpose of the human voice is for and how now when I look back sort of 30 years it might take seven years for a person to go through a process of actually accessing their authentic voice now it'll take maybe seven minutes or seven seconds and they hear themselves and they're off and it's happening I can hear what you're describing in my own work with these expanding fields of consciousness how people are accessing those fields through the direct connection with their own sound and with their own sound as it moves from the root of the body right up to the crown and back again. So you have this octave of consciousness just to start off with in the physical body itself and that then translates into higher octaves of consciousness within and beyond the crown itself out into the cosmos. I love how in the Eastern world, for example, you receive your voice, you receive the sound from the cosmos. More in the Western world, we make the sound, we, we make it from the solar plexus and up and out. And we have all kinds of very embodied ways of making that sound from a more instinctual place. But of course, both are required. And I suppose in my work, what I'm just marveling at at the moment, and particularly with huge gratitude, to the internet is that suddenly this work which has been for me very much in the containment of very in-depth retreats residential retreats five seven ten day retreats with people around the planet now suddenly you can access huge numbers of people who are all listening to their own sound together from all sides of the globe so this wonderful sense of a, the planetary mind is waking up through this accessing, through discovering what the tools and the skills and the, the listening requirements are 
a compassionate listening to oneself and to others in order to really hear the sound of the universe itself within our own bodies, within our own relationships. And that, I think, is enabling people to become more humble in relation to ourselves and each other. Something very magical happens when a person really hears themselves. Tears very often come. Tears come. And then a person will think they're feeling sad. But I said, okay, no, we've been taught that tears equal sadness. But actually, the soul itself is being heard. And the voice was the catalyst for the soul to hear itself. And that is just so beautiful to me when that happens for a human being. Every bit as much as these expanding groups and networks of people who are coming together, not only to make sound together and to experience the joy of that, but actually fundamentally to return to the source of that sound, which is silence itself. So that, I would say, is where I'm at at the moment. And so my gratitude is to all faculties of human learning and intelligence that are conspiring somehow and constellating and co-creating together now. So it's no longer science versus arts. It's the science of art and the art of science. That's what I'm <laughs> learning from you two. Well, what we try to say, and, and I'm going to ask Annalise to really talk a little more about this, because we are each, each of us, and this is what we are saying, we are both the sound as well as the livingness of the universe in an eternal spirited form of itself, we are each composed of the fractal codes of eternity, experiencing mortality and endings. I really believe, take, take that music to its next level, then the human selfing game may be what cosmic infinity does for fun and, <laughs> not, and not realizing this. We live in states of galloping ambiguity, caught in limited time vehicles, yearning, yearning for our greater selves, our greater opera. <laughs> and then when we make the rare extension into our greater being, becoming our cosmic selves, we suddenly yearn like Dorothy and Oz to get back home to our farm in Kansas. <laughs> you know, <laughs> why is this? And Annalise has such wonderful ideas about this. Why is this and what can we do about it and what we can do about coming back to Earth in a new, not just new ways of being, but creation, of bringing civilization to its next state, culture to its next unfolding. It is possible. And this is ultimately what together we're trying to do. Oh, that's so, I love galloping ambiguity. I, you know, if somebody is ever feeling galloping ambiguity, I, I very often will say to them, okay, so how does that sound? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Anna Lewis, over to you. <laughs> yeah, this is so delicious. And I love what you, what you both shared and what you shared, Chloe, about sound. There's a passage in the book as well where Rose is describing that during her near-death experience, she hears these sounds when she goes back into the cosmic womb, she experiences that cosmic architecture as sounds. And what she realizes then is how sound literally in 
forms and not just in terms of in forms as now we have information but it's formation so sound shapes <laughs> sound materializes sound is really at the the foundation of of, of creation so our, our universe is really is a enormous harmonic sound that brings us forth and it's a continuous creation process and this is also what Rose experiences and what she asks her grandmother, Fadandi, to guide her because Fadandi knows this as an elder and, and kind of a female Merlin and wizards. She understands this also that during these times of deep initiation. There yes. are certain yes, sounds, and you know them too, Chloe, from your, your incredible initiations. There are certain sounds that you start to hear. Mm-hmm. And very often when we hear them, at the same time, we become aware of geometrical shapes and light formations. And that's where we are starting to have a more direct, coded communication and relationship with the universe, with its creative intelligence and essence. And what also we are very curious about, and we'd love to, to know also from you, there are, just like there are some new lights that are entering our world, it also appears there are some new harmonics. I have a sense that when people are hearing this, it's just we're saying when people are hearing their own sound, that when we are hearing, when we're hearing the sound mm. of this new consciousness that is emerging, that is birthing, that is cohering, Mm. that a deep remembering, a deep recognition, a deep realization mm. will, it almost feels like it will hug us, it will embrace us. It's a sphere of, of consciousness yeah. that invites us. Mm-hmm. I love that. Absolutely love that. For me, it's, it's almost as if the, these sounds, which are frequencies of love, would you say, just before pursuing that even further, just to come back to what you were describing earlier, how the sound and the conversation about this sound takes place between the grandmother and the granddaughter. You know, how in indigenous communities that happens and how the respect, the wisdom of the elder who has received that information, information as per formation has expressed it and then brings it to the child as transformation. I'm remembering actually of being with the Blackfeet up in northern Montana. This really fascinates me. They had never heard a Sanskrit mantra before. They said, we cannot share any of our understanding about sound with you until we've heard your sound. And so they took me off into the night and we went off. We ended up in their little house on this reservation near the Glacier Park up in northern areas of Montana. And I started singing Om Anandamai. And as soon as I started singing that, it felt right. They'd been telling me these stories about how they communicated with the animals and how they negotiated with the bears about who was going to eat the blueberries first, uh, you know, and these incredible communications between the humans and the animals and so on and the trees and the elements. They said, okay, sing. So I thought, okay. So I sang this Omanandamai, Chitanyamai, Satyamai, Parameshwari, and I started to sing it to them, went on for about five minutes and then got to the end it was very very quiet and when i opened my eyes they were in my face staring at me as if i was some kind of scientific specimen how did i know that and i said what do you mean know that how did i know that 
They said, how did you know that sound? And I said, well, I, I've sung it for 15 years and I was given it by a friend who, a mutual friend who'd been in India, who I met in San Francisco, and it just felt right to sing it with you. And they said, well, we don't understand how you know it because it has a, a rhythm and a melody and a frequency and a vibration that is part of our high pipe ceremonies. And we thought that was a secret. So that really opened all our eyes, you know, to this sense of what is this sound that is before sound? You know, it's as if we'd, we went somewhere, we went beneath the sound, actually. We somehow arrived together before sound, together. <laughs> they couldn't understand how it was possible that that information was coming from India. And here we were in northern Montana in the middle of Glacier Park. For me, much of this that we're speaking of is, is actually beyond the language that we have to even enunciate this you know it's beyond words you know how when you're in a, a really deep state of wonder or you have been completely transformed by a situation or a circumstance or an encounter and everything disappears dear dear chloe do you do you know what you're saying about yourself i mean you evoke people all the time but has anybody ever really listened to you as we're listening to you deeply I mean, there's a passage in our book which really, I think, talks about you. You're, you are the inter with this understanding of the potency of sound, God, goddess's voice, a new kind of form of incarnation. You, dear friend, you are that intersection between what has long been forgotten and what has not yet been born. You're the intersection between the magical and the scientific, the indigenous and the modern worlds. You are the daughter of the hidden folk, <laughs> like the elves, the fairies, the trolls, as well as the daughter of the human race. You, you're a hybrid, and you're also the future ancestry of a humanity that will be married once more to the realms of nature and the larger cosmos to which we belong. You, my dear friend, you are a new Arthurian story in the making, which this time, <laughs> is not, yes, which is not about Merlin and King Arthur, but Vivian and Merlin in true partnership together with the king and queen of Avalon. Oh, my friend, Chloe, you are a future archetype of a whole new story and the promise that we can again belong to the multi-worlds and find our roots in a far greater destiny than merely is like happening right now as we speak, traveling <laughs> into <laughs> space, traveling through the galaxies, through human spaceships. Really, my dear, let this new world be born from within you yes. and pause at this pivotal moment on your path as you are speaking. I see who you are, Chloe. I really do. Well, Jean, I couldn't wait to have this dialogue with you and Anna Lewis, I can tell you, because it's such a relief to be able to talk about these things. <laughs>
as you rightly say, and as your book is revealing, it is happening, isn't it? It's really it is happening, yes. Happening. It is happening. Because like, I remember being with you just before Don Campbell, the great sound healer, just before he was yeah. passing. And I remember you sitting with us both at his table in his house and saying to Don just before he was passing, saying, you can't die yet. You and Chloe have to write a book. And it has to be about the integration of the spiritual sciences, the science and sound, the three. It's the trinity of experience, I call it. And here we are, and it's it really is happening. I took that in very deeply. Such a sweet conversation I had not long ago is of pilgrimage and walking about and song lines, of course, and everything you're speaking yeah. about. Even in little old United Kingdom, you know, Rupert Sheldrake talking about how Human beings are just starting to walk the pilgrimage lines of Britain. They're just starting to walk these pilgrimage lines. And then this wonderful geobiologist, Rory Duff, who basically has, has been doing these fantastic research around the, the sacred ley lines of, uh, of the globe itself, but particularly in England. And a group of us came together on summer solstice on this place very similar to Avebury in England. And it's just called... Barry Mump, and it looks exactly like Glastonbury Tour, and no one really has ever heard about it. It's not on the tourist trail, but for uh, Rory Dump, this is one of the most sacred points in the United Kingdom at this point. And about a hundred random people came together. It was cloudy, it was kind of raining, and we all made our way, scrambled up this mound. And there was a, a chapel on the top, and you could feel the civilizations, the energies from Gaia underneath this chapel i mean the roof of the chapel had already been blown off and so quite a lot of the people got inside the chapel even a few years ago it would have been chloe will you like to lead some sound here no one had to be told to do anything you know it's that incredible poem everyone started singing and they mm. did and somebody just started humming and i was on the outside of the building because i could feel the frequency of the field of this morphosonic field going right up beyond the building because obviously we were tuning in with the the gaia energy which is again coming back to your book the gaia force was blasting through the earth that was touching into people's feet into their legs into their bodies the sound was coming through the bodies it was going right up through the vortex of this ancient chapel and the original Gaia song began. And as this sound started to lift up into the sky, the clouds literally parted. And there was this kind of sense of just golden light, just very, very subtly, very gently pouring out everywhere. It was very beautiful. So beautiful. Thank you, my friend, for saying this. What you were sharing, it reminds me when we're in the cave in Delphi. Remember the Gaia cave? Oh, my God, yes. Remember that when they hadn't heard that sound oh, for all yes. that time? People had been coming from all over the world to hear it. Just the, the cave gene started to sing. Oh, from deep inside the cave, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Very, very deep inside. It started to, it's, it's like we all came in resonance with it. And this lovely man, he was chanting in some old Gregorian chants. And then when he became quiet afterwards, then the cave started to sing back. Yeah, that was yeah. quite extraordinary. And and Panos, do you remember Panos, who was the mayor of yes, Delphi? Came that's with, right. He showed us this place and he said, I've been waiting years to hear yeah, that. In the belly of the serpent. 
the beginning of the story of Delphi there, the creation stories, where, where that began. And that's happening now, as I said, where the, you know, the tail of the serpent and the hat are coming together. <laughs> Say some more about that, yes. Just like within ourselves, um, in the book we're talking about it, as that you could see time itself as the skin of the great cosmic serpent. Mm. And when the time comes, that when the, the cosmic serpent starts to shed her skin of time, mm. it is because a new skin of time, a new skin of consciousness is growing within her. So as that's happening, also the earth herself is rebirthing as well as all the other planets because of those primordial sounds. So I'm not surprised that's what you're describing of people hearing the sounds and the sounds guiding them. I mean, sound is the most direct way of entering into cosmic consciousness. And also in the, where the ley lines were meeting, the grail lines, right, in, in, in Europe, where they cross. That's where we enter into, the, into deep unity consciousness and start to hear, yeah, the primordial creation sounds. And, and so they, they're opening the portals. That's what Rose eventually discovers as well, that see with the guidance of, of Fredandia grandmother is that she is a portal. She is a portal for that new time. So that's why she's hearing these sounds and bringing that forth. And so are, are we all. And yes, <laughs> we need to explore this conversation further. I would love to do that with you both. Chloe, you know what's actually going on. You're talking about ancient Greece. Yes. And the conversation we're having reminds me of the opening lines of the Odyssey. In ancient Greek, which is Andra Moyenepe Musa Polytropus, singing me muse of the, well, I said the man, but the man of the people of many ways. It is the people of many ways who not only are many ways, but of many ways of seeing, being, knowing, becoming, living, transforming. Oh. Well, listen, on that note, this is very hard to do, but I'm aware that we probably are coming to a close quite soon. Mm -hmm. And just to hear the sound of that Greek is really just opening a door for me into a whole other <laughs> dimension to be explored with you. I would love to do that. But right now also, I, I would like to really celebrate and just bow to you both with the birth of your new book, the future humans and this is a trilogy so there are two more books to follow to evolve from this and i just uh, thank you both from the bottom of my heart that you exist in my life that we have this absolute recognition and remembrance and a real sense of a constellation and a co-creation together that we're going to be able to share together through the sounds and Long may this continue and every blessing, every fulfillment with this wonderful book that is going to feed so many, so many minds and hearts and souls. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chloe. Thank you. 